The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it is a privilege to welcome my guest, Mr. Robert Shetterly. He is an artist, a writer, a participatory citizen, and the founder of a project titled Americans Who Tell the Truth, a series of portraits and narratives which highlight citizens who courageously address issues of social, environmental, and economic fairness. By combining art and other media, Americans Who Tell the Truth offers resources to inspire a new generation of engaged Americans who will act for the common good, our communities, and the earth. Welcome, Mr. Shetterly. Oh, thank you, Melinda. What a pleasure to have this opportunity to talk with you. Well, I don't remember when I first discovered your body of work. But I realized that it was very important for me to use art in promoting a food system that was both just and humane and safe and healing. And you don't know this, but I typically use your portraits and it always bring my audiences to your website, which is simply AmericansWhoTellTheTruth.org, because I want people to recognize the power that they have for change, and that is clearly what these portraits do. So... Let's just start with a very simple question, which is, how did you get started with this project? Thank you very much for asking that question. And, you know, every time I answered, I probably answered a little bit differently. You know, when you just said that they are used to empower people, I was thinking that probably the most significant feeling I had at the time when I began was how disempowered I was. It was uh, right after 9-11 when the Bush administration and all of its figures began to use fear and propaganda and racism and fundamentalism and all that stuff that they were doing to try to encourage the American people to get behind an attack on the country of Iraq who had nothing to do with 9-11. I was just outraged. In a way, I wasn't so mad that you know, here was we see our government once again using techniques like that to finagle a war. But it was that our media, our corporate media, totally failed at the job of what a, a free press is supposed to do in a democratic society, which is alert people to when questionable things are being said, when leaders are perhaps lying or manipulating. And, and I had done enough of my own homework to know that the, the reasons that they were using for why we should, needed to fight this war were totally bogus. And I I just felt so so incredibly alienated and powerless at that moment. And I thought either I, I should leave this country or I should find some way to be a better citizen. And I thought that probably the best thing I do and my best means of speech is art. It should be something that involved my art. And I think, you know, when I look back on it, I realized that I had the good sense to not do the, the first thing that many artists do in situations like that. And I'm not being critical of other artists, I'm just because I've done this myself, but is when they're feeling a kind of rage about something that's happening, is to just show people the rage. I 
I know that most people don't want to look at that, and they are offended by it, or they just can't handle it. They turn away. So what to do? And I thought, I thought I've, I've got to take the energy of that this anger I'm feeling, which was really part anger and part grief, because I was imagining all the victims that were going to be of this war policy, is take that energy and use it in some kind of positive way. And it took me months to figure out a very simple solution to that, which was to begin to surround myself with people that I admired rather than keep obsessing about the ones that I had no respect for at all. And I thought we're doing such great damage to both the idea of this country and its history and its future. So that's the idea I had. And I, I, mean, I said to myself, I'm going to paint 50 portraits. I had never painted a portrait in my life, a realistic portrait. I'm going to call them Americans who tell the truth, and then I'm going to give the whole thing away. I felt like I'd absolutely levitated. I mean, I felt so free for the first time in my life, in a way. And, I mean, totally free, because even though I've been an artist who painted a kind of difficult imagery sometimes, and I was trying to live off my art, I mean, one always has to think of, well, is there a market for it? And by doing it, this other thing, though, by saying, well, I'm going to make these pictures, and then I'm going to give them away, I felt that I could now choose subjects and ideas and paint them, and nobody could question it. Of course, there was, there was another question, how am I going to live? But right. you know, How am I going to go on supporting a family? But I said, I'm just going to take this leap, and we're going to, going to find out you know, if somehow I'll be able to do this. And that's where it all began. I, and it's been just a, you know, I mentioned that I, I had a goal of painting 50 portraits, but now over uh, 200, I think there's 215 or so, and <laughs> it's an obsessive-compulsive disorder at this moment, but it's it's also been a way for me to, I mean, I think it's the most intense learning time of my whole life, the way I'm learning about issues, the way I'm learning about history, the way I'm learning about citizenship and ethics and all the things that have to come into this kind of work has been just astounding. I also think that you are creating engaged active communities when you present. And I should let our listeners know that I just serendipitously discovered an exhibit of yours in Asheville, North Carolina, when I was traveling through. And I couldn't believe my eyes. You know, you pick up the newspaper of the community to see what events are going on, and there it was. And I thought, my goodness, I've got to go hear you speak. You were going to unveil your latest portrait at the time. And what I discovered in watching you present and seeing the way the community engaged was that you really did create this engaged community that were talking about the issues that were most important to them. So I think you have tremendous ripple effects. It's always a challenge to track those ripple effects. And I wonder if you ever think about those effects that you have. Well, thank you. But of course I do. I mean, because I mean, this project um, from the beginning has been mission-oriented, you know. <laughs> I mean, those feelings that I had of, of alienation and anger and grief haven't dissipated, but they're much less intense because the feelings that I have for the people I paint are admiration and love and respect. And so for me to carry the images and the stories to other people, and I choose people that are whose stories are particularly inspiring, you know, they're full of courage, they're people who stood up often at great cost to themselves for some form of justice, you know, the reaction is, in a sense, predictable. I mean, I think people want to hear these stories. They want to be moved. They want to be called to act for the betterment of the 
of their communities and, and of the, for themselves. And so I hear all the time from people about um, how they were moved by this or that uh, portrait or that story or and they ended up doing something, which is fantastic. And, of course, what we've done is, is this project has moved, in a sense, in some ways beyond just the relating of the stories. We have now a, an educational project where we challenge young people to actually you know, not just name an issue, but engage it, research it, involve, get yourself involved in it with the people who are working on it and actually work towards solutions as, as students. I mean, one of the major points of all of this, and, and as I've painted now quite a few young people, is that it doesn't matter whether you're young or old, you're old enough to vote or anything like that. It's about the courage and the persistence with which you engage something, and that's what really determines whether there's going to be change or not. Mm-hmm. You're speaking, I'm sure, about the Samantha Smith Challenge. Exactly. Yeah, we started this in Maine a couple of years ago. Samantha Smith was a little Maine girl, 11 years old, who back in the 1980s was terrified of nuclear holocaust and wrote a letter to the then premier of the Soviet Union, Yuri Andropov, asking why he wanted to blow up the world and kill Americans. And Premier Andropov invited Samantha and her family to come to the Soviet Union and find out for themselves that the Russians were actually a peace-loving people who did not want war. And against the advice of many commentators in this country, uh, Samantha and her family went. And while she was there, she went to a camp with Russian kids. She traveled around the country, and, and at the end of it, when she was asked what she had learned, she said, well, it occurs to me that the problems we have between our countries that produce wars are caused by our government. If people could just get to meet people from other countries, we would see that we are the same. We have all the same interests. We have the same things in common. We would never want any kind of war. And this you know, 11-year-old girl became a person who was a teacher to adults about making peace in the world. Mm-hmm. She actually changed the tone of the Cold War. You know, one of the things I like to say so much about all of these people, you know, when anybody acts with courage to change a situation, is that they give people permission, that's the right word, permission to think differently, to change their consciousness, to see an example of how one could think differently and therefore change a situation. And little Samantha was giving adults permission to think differently about what the Cold War was all about and what they could do about it. And so what we did here in Maine is started this middle school program challenging students all over the state to act like Samantha, not to just do a question about war and peace, but to to engage any question that was an issue to them that they were concerned about and see if they could do something about changing it. Some of them were about poverty and hunger and homelessness, some were about the environment, some were about plastics, some were about teen suicide. We had 700 kids last year in our initial attempt at this doing 50 different projects with amazing results. Kids were saying to us, wow, I never realized that education could be relevant. I didn't realize I could actually change somebody's life. And we were just thrilled. And so this year we hope that the Samantha Smith Challenge becomes much bigger. We're gearing up for it now. So are you hoping to take this nationally, or is it just in Maine? Well, it began in Maine because that's where I am and that's where Samantha lived, and we wanted to see if we could get it to work here. And our indications are that it's it's working. There's a lot of excitement in schools and students and in school districts to do the project, and that the goal is that if we can do it here for several years and keep gaining momentum, that we will start a national project. We've already had 
inquiries from a number of different states where people have asked us about doing the project there. Good. So I think it's um, really quite possible. Well, for teachers who are listening and want some inspiration, they can go to the Americans Who Tell the Truth website, and you can download information about the challenge. And I just love the way you ask, you know, choose a topic, ask a big question, imagine a solution, contact people who can help you make a difference, do something and tell your story. I think that's applicable for all of us, no matter what our age. And when you were speaking in North Carolina, you unveiled at the time the portrait of Reverend Dr. William Barber. And I believe it was Dr. Barber who said, the reason why Martin Luther King was so effective was that he had an I have a dream speech. And we are bathed in this negative environment of tragedy. And I think that what your portraits do, your portraits and narratives, I have to, we'll talk about the narratives here in a moment, but what they do is they provide deep inspiration for positive outcomes. I love the way you put that, but I think that that's, if it's true, it's because that's what they do for me. You know, yeah. I choose people who have that effect on me, you know, where I am so moved by the way that they went about confronting an issue, the risks they took, and then the way it has played out for all of us, that I wanted to feel that deep change myself and that, that resonance that gives meaning to all of our lives. And so if it has that effect on someone else, that's great, because that's what I'm hoping, that's what I do with myself. I also wanted to say something about the, you know, the nature of the project and the title, Americans Who Tell the Truth. You know, each portrait is pretty big. They're 36 by 30 inches. They're painted on wooden panels. And then a quote from each person is scratched into the surface. And it's those quotes which I refer to as the particular truth of, of each person. And to me, it seemed that the only purpose of using a word like truth, which bothers some people, it sounds presumptuous when you say that, but is to try to tell some really hard ones, some tough ones, you know, so that not to sugarcoat anything, not to make it throw softballs at people, not to be sentimental, but to simply say things that are are tough truths because we're, as we all know, we're in pretty urgent times. And unless we go to the real causes of problems and face those truths, you know, we're not going to solve these issues. And that will be become more and more critical for our children and the next generation. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and we are joined today by artist, writer, participatory citizen Robert Shetterly, who is the founder of Americans Who Tell the Truth, the series of portraits and narratives which highlight citizens who courageously address issues of social, environmental, and economic fairness. Well, Rob, when we were in North Carolina, there was a an exhibit and there was a booklet that came with that. It was a beautifully put together Americans Who Tell the Truth guide listing all the different portraits that were going to be there. And one of the women who really brought you to Asheville, Ellie Richard, who's involved with Education for Engaged Activism, she described your portraits as antidotes for despair. Mm. And I loved that. And I just wanted to let our listeners know that your portraits are divided into different categories. So, of course, where did I go? This is Food Sleuth Radio. So, of course, I went right to the Environment, Health, and Medicine site. Well, in truth and reporting, Melinda, we should mention that you, 
year and a half ago or so got in touch with me and, and suggested a portrait. I did. I felt like these portraits had so much power to illuminate people who had made such a difference in certain areas. And, you know, if you're not working in a particular area, you may not know who the heroes are. So, yes, I did email you about Joan Gussell, and lo and behold, you checked my facts and ended up doing a portrait of her, which I highly recommend for everyone. Well, I recommend all of your portraits. But I want to step back for a moment and ask you, who was the first portrait that you did? The first portrait was Walt Whitman, and, and it was because of him, in a way, that I got the idea, really, for the whole series. As I mentioned earlier, I, I spent some time thinking about what I could possibly do with my anger and grief and how to use it through art, and I didn't have an answer. And one day I looked up at my own studio wall. I have, a, like a lot of artists, I've got a wall in my studio that's covered with other people's pictures, quotes, you know, things I want to think about. And I noticed that up there on the wall was this quote from Whitman that I had put up there who knows how many years before, which was his little commandment that came from the preface to the Leaves of Grass about how to live in the world. It begins by, this is what you shall do. Love the earth, the sun, and the animals. And then goes on to give you a whole series of other things to live by. And I thought, oh, that's so impressive. It's, you know, the language was so beautiful. And I thought, that is saying exactly what democracy really is supposed to be about. And particularly Whitman, I think, embodies what may be the sort of most most democratic of democratic behaviors that we could possibly want, which is, you know, not just democracy for all people, but democracy for all created life, you know, plants and animals, everything. Because, you know, as we know today, as we look at the environmental movement or the climate movement, is that the health of every created thing is necessary for the health of everything else. You know, that we can go on living democratic and healthy lives only if we take care of everything else in nature. And that thought about democracy, I thought, was so key to begin. Although I didn't know what I was doing then, I just knew that I had to paint this man. And then as soon as I painted his portrait, I noticed that I felt better. I felt as though I were in touch with something essential about the democratic impulse and what this country was supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little bit about your process. So you've identified people who are both living and deceased who have made a difference in areas including civil rights, education, social justice, peace and activism, environment, workers' rights, the arts, religion and society, and many more. How do you start the process? And tell me a little bit about how you capture Deciding on those poll quotes must be quite challenging, and then you've got a narrative to go with each portrait. And I believe you told me in the hall in the North Carolina exhibit that it took you longer to do the writing research and writing than it did to do the actual portraits. That's true. I mean, I wouldn't say that painting is easy for me, but it's it's something that I, I have some familiarity with in a way I, I sort of know if I'm I know how to what to do in order to get the effects that, that I want to get and things like that. But the research, I'm often starting from scratch with each person and having to read biographies, read you know, interviews if they're available, you know, collect as much information as I can, and then often sift through 
many, many quotes sometimes in order to find the one I think is uh, perfect for the, the look that's on the portrait and then to give the kind of punch I want with that particular person. And that's, that's difficult. I mean, it's, it's and, and, and then with the living people, I try to create a process where, you know, I go and meet everybody I paint and then I send them a selection of possible quotes that I've come up with for their portrait, and we kind of go back and forth then about uh, what might be the best thing, what they would really like to have the, their own portrait say, etc. So it, there is a lot of process to it, and it's um, it a process that allows the subject to be to share the ownership in the in the whole project, and also you know with the portrait, and then the intent of how it's going to be used. You know, at every stage, I want the the process to be as open as that. You know, it's not just about me. I mean. And, as a matter of fact, one of the things that's important here is about art. I, I think when I was a, a younger artist, and, and I, I don't disown this, I mean, I was doing work that I thought was important, and I still do. But my intent was to paint pictures that sort of advertised who I was, in a way, that were about my style, my view of the world, my particular way of painting and looking and, and uh, my own essential quirkiness and all that stuff. These are not about me, you know. I, I mean, I, obviously I'm a, a painter and I made the pictures, but I'm attempting to make the pictures to be about the people I'm painting so that I'm just a, a medium through which the people I've painted can continue to have a bigger voice. And, and that I find very exciting, to be an artist with that way of relating to the work. Can I answer your question? I'm not sure I really No, you, you absolutely did. And, you know, it was interesting. I was recently at a conference called Bioneers. Oh, sure. I know about Bioneers. And there was a session on using art for social change. And what was so interesting was the messages that I received through multiple presentations there, actually, was that, yes, we want to change policy, and changing policies is an arduous task. But in order to change policy, we have to change the culture first, and the way we change the culture is through media, including art and music and poetry and writing. And so to me, when we see so many troubles in the world, both environmental, food, justice, you name it, to be able to have artists come to the fore to share their work to move that dial towards a better world, I think is very important. And I would hope that we all value artists for what they can do for society. Sometimes I worry that our arts programs are not funded or maybe they're the first to be slashed when there's a budget cut, but I think they're vital to democracy. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've, I've painted quite a few other artists, people that I think that would inspire me because of the way they've used art to change social situations. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I think one of the great things that art does is one of the things that courage does is give people permission to envision thinking differently. And some of the artists I've painted do that through direct engagement with communities where they their great art their art is actually eliciting art from communities who are in despair. Or sometimes it's artists who use art to hold a mirror up in a particular way so that people can see that the way they're living or the ideas they're they're living with are full of say racism and injustice and that they don't want to look at themselves that way and work to change themselves. I painted 
I don't know how many different artists, so each one has a slightly different way of going about using art to engage in change-making. And I agree with you completely that art is one of those media, which is different than other media. It's not like the news. You know, it, it has a different authenticity to it. And I think it, part of the reason for that is when the artist aspires to do really good and, in some cases, selfless work, that somehow that, that translates, that helps to convince other people that this is an authentic message that needs to be listened to and allows them to think differently. And I, I don't even understand it myself, but I, I've noticed the, you know, the reaction to my paintings having that effect on people, even people who disagree with, with the message sometimes. They believe the art, in a sense, even when they disagree with the message, and it opens a dialogue. And that, I think, is one of the real gifts of art. Well, and I think, too, when people feel perhaps alone with their thoughts, to see this broad array of heroes in the world who share that ideology, we don't feel so alone. Perhaps we feel empowered to move forward with our own work. Well, I hope so. You know, one of the, I spend almost all my time now, if I'm not painting or, or researching, in schools. I get invited to schools all over the country. And kids aren't being presented with social justice heroes. You know, they're presented with celebrities. They're presented with famous people, but not with the people who have stood up against the status quo, insisted on that this country try to live up to its own ideals, try to close the gap between what it says and what it actually does. You know, and those people are often written out of the history books or they're real stories written out of the history books because they're a little bit controversial. And, of course, it's the controversy which we need to live by. That's where the answers are. And that's one of the most disturbing things. And, of course, that's one of the real intents of this project is to give people the stories they need. We call it narrative activism, where you have a story that you need in order to give yourself permission to get involved in an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I just wanted to tell you that we just have a minute left. So oh. do you want to leave our listeners with a charge? Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I've got lots of different charges, but, you know, what? I, I think when you ask people about what makes a democracy, the first thing that comes to mind, if anything does, is usually voting. And that, in my mind, is almost the last thing. The great uh, labor organizer, Mother Jones, was once asked, when she was 90 years old in 1920, when women finally got the right to vote, you know, oh, Mother Jones, isn't this wonderful? You're finally going to be able to vote. And she said, well, who needs to vote when you can raise hell? And most of the great changes in this country, for the better, for justice, have come about by people raising hell. You know, women couldn't vote for the right to vote. People couldn't vote to end Jim Crow. They had to raise hell. And that's what really makes that's the responsibility, that's the obligation, that's the, the call that's put on all of us now, is to be engaged fully as citizens. The vote will come later, but to make sure that we you know, live in a, in a decent, humane, and peaceful society, we've got to demand it. And that would be my charge to everyone, demand it. 
Well, thank you so much, Mr. Shetterly, for being my guest. In closing, I want to thank Mr. Shetterly, Robert Shetterly, who is the founder of Americans Who Tell the Truth, a series of portraits and narratives which highlight citizens who courageously address issues of social, environmental, and economic fairness. These are models of courageous citizenship. I want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you again so much, and we'll make sure to have a link to these beautiful portraits. Thanks, Melinda. Wonderful talking with you. 